Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Carlson from the corner. Petrangelo toward the goal. They score. Dora Fiam a tip at the right side of the crease. Vegas now on top, four to two. Two forty-one to go, second period. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Wednesday. Cofield and company. Adam Candy is alongside Willie Ramirez. We'll be in a little later on, Candy, to talk about what was going on down at the West Regional, the NCAA in town. You know, not just a conference tournament, the five that are here, but the NCAA is actually on the ground, Candy, which is pretty amazing. We're going to get into that in about five minutes. Paul Gutierrez was on the show yesterday, and he wrote a really good story about uh, the NCAA basically destroying the UNLV basketball program and how things have changed over 30 years. Uh, not in terms of our attitude towards the NCAA, but we're glad to have them here. Uh, we want to make money off them and you know, make it into a big event weekend. And uh, it did feel like a big event when I was down there a little earlier. So we'll have a bunch of sound bites and get a chance to react to what uh, Eric Musselman, ugh, Dan Hurley, ugh, Mark Few, you want to do the groan? And... Mick Cronin, what a set of coaches, huh? What a set of coaches. But, Candy, we come out of the gates. Big question on what the Raiders were going to do at tight end. And I don't know if this fills the shoes completely, but the guy has been accomplished in the NFL. Raiders have signed tight end Austin Hooper. Okay. I mean, that's kind of the reaction (laughs) you would expect me to have to that, right? I mean, Austin Hooper is a known quantity. He's been in the league for – a solid seven years at this point, and the production ever since 2020 has pretty much been the same when he went to Cleveland, right? He had a couple of big seasons in Atlanta and then went to Cleveland and kind of became a secondary option in the offense. And look, if you want to put him in there and hope that he is a just reliable guy for Jimmy G, that seems to be pretty much what the Raiders have built in terms of their options around Jimmy Garoppolo, right? You have... The explosiveness of Devontae Adams, and he is still one of the best receivers in the league. But everything else you have at this point, whether it's Hunter Renfro, whether it's Jacoby Myers, whether it's now Austin Hooper, it's basically solid but unspectacular, right? None of these guys are guys who are going to light it up, right? And that seems to me to be more of the plan here around Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's go for what we know and known quantities and reliability in the offense. So, I mentioned college basketball and what's on the ground here in Vegas, which is a very cool event. Uh, We're going to have a lot of updates on the transfer portal because the Mountain West Conference, a lot of the fans are freaking out right now. But this is that time period where a lot of players are going to go in, and guess what? You're going to have to pull players out to replace them and build your programs and build your teams. Um, A guy who left a long time ago, it seems like it now, Trey Woodbury. Right, Clark High School kid was a big get at the time for Marvin Menzies. Spent a year here. Uh, it's kind of amazing going back to the Menzies days. There's still guys playing around college basketball. Like it seems like Marvin was so long ago because you're now a couple of coaches removed. But you know we were tracking JTT, a uh, big man, uh, Chamo Chachua down at Baylor, and I've been keeping an eye on Trey Woodbury because he's actually been a really good college player at Utah Valley, which is a really interesting story with Mark Madsen. As the head coach, they're actually hosting a game tonight 
in the NIT with a chance to get here. Yes, the NIT is going to be here in the semis and the finals. But, yeah, Trey Woodbury um, and Utah Valley hosting Cincinnati. You think Cincinnati? Anyone on the Cincinnati squad is familiar at all with Orem, Utah? I'm going to gather no. Uh, I, I'll i be honest that up until a handful of years ago, I didn't know where Utah Valley was. I had to look it up myself. Uh, so no, I don't think the uh, I don't think Delta is rocking any direct flights from Cincinnati to Orem. Uh, it's really remarkable though to look back, and I remember when JTT was here with UNLV, and the whole thing was, yeah, well, will he ever get an offensive game? Right? Like we know he's physical, we know he can bruise. He's the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. Like there was talent to oh, be yeah. found. There was absolutely talent on that roster. It's just that year is such a dividing line for UNLV past and UNLV future and it's it's good to see that some of the guys that were on that roster have uh, still be able to move on to bigger and better well I mean if we look back at history and where the program is now people are really thirsting for continuity hmm. and they were going into a fourth year with Marvin Menzies some people were like okay you know solid job I think he had won 11 or 12 games I think it was 11 maybe 12 uh, in the Mountain West Conference that year they just couldn't beat the biggest boys in the league, but they had a really good group coming back. I'm not going to roll through the roster. Frankly, I don't remember all of it. I've written it out so many times on Twitter, kind of back in Menzies, but uh, just to name a few, uh, Tom Boy, who kind of fizzled out when he went on to uh, Texas Tech, but on the front court, you had Tom Boy, JTT, and Shakur Houston. Uh, Mari Hardy was part of that team. Bryce Hamilton was part of that team. Trey Woodbury was part of that team. There were other good supporting cast players. They had two good recruits coming in. And it got blown up because Desiree Reed Francois wanted her guy. I think she got a little bit nervous with some of the recruiting habits of the past. And since now, we've had two years of Otz, two years of Kruger, and pretty much every team has been a new group. And it looks like Candy next year is going to be about the same. Um, I would think max, there's five guys left who could stay. Um, I would not be shocked if it turns out to be three. And for Rebel fans, rightly so, they're freaking out. Because they're looking at a, you know another summer here, not even next two months, where you got to cobble a team together, and it certainly by expectations has to be better than this last year's group. And last year's group was okay; they played well, really well at the beginning, but they didn't play well in the middle of the season and couldn't put it all together in terms of cohesion down the stretch. So it's looking like a very uneasy next couple of months setting up next season. When we look at what's going on with UNLV basketball right this moment. I don't think Kevin Kruger's getting a totally fair shake out of this situation because if you're looking at Kevin Kruger and saying, well, he should have provided more continuity, isn't that why he was hired? Well, it was one reason. It was one of the reasons Kevin Kruger was kept here was continuity. And let's be clear about what we're talking about when we say continuity. We're talking about keeping Bryce Hamilton. That's it. Because beyond that, what did you need for continuity in the program from what T.J. Otzelberger had started to develop here. So Bryce Hamilton stayed. Bryce Hamilton became an all-Mountain West player. Great. Good for Bryce Hamilton. Beyond that, Kevin Kruger is dealing with the same reality that every coach in America is dealing with right now. College basketball is a one-and-done environment everywhere. And if you want to talk about players staying for any length of time, why? Why would they? With the options they have right now, with what they're being promised by coaches in other places, if they don't get 15 minutes a game when they only got eight, if they're not getting promised that they're going to get their 15 or 20 minutes a game when they were on the end of the roster, why? Should they trust the coach here? Or should they trust someone who's telling them, you come here and we'll do this for you? I, 
I understand why they're doing it. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think that's the reality that everybody has to deal with at this point and everybody has to learn to appreciate is that you didn't know who half the guys on this – you had no idea who Elijah Harkless was <laughs> before November. Right. You had no idea. And then he became the best player on the team. And that's going to happen again next year. You're confident of that, that he, he'll replace Harkless with someone – Close. I mean, 20 points per game, and frankly, the best pure scorer in the Mountain West Conference is probably asking for a little too much, but uh, you're confident in this staff's ability to put together a roster through the portal? I am. I am confident in this staff's ability to put a roster together through the portal because we just watched it. And look, I know you're going to talk about, not you specifically, but a lot of people out there are going to talk about the disappointment with this year's team. I get it. There's every reason to be disappointed, but let's also remember that the Mountain West this year, despite what everybody got their jollies on talking about how they performed in the NCAA tournament, this is the best Mountain West we've seen in a decade. And Kevin Kruger is up against it when it comes to competing against some of what's out there in the Mountain West right now. And look, did he get taken to the cleaners by Tim Miles? Did he get taken to the cleaners in some ways? Not on the court. By Steve Alford? Yeah. Reno had a better program. But they didn't finish well. And, yeah, San Jose State had a better program. But these are guys who've been at it forever. They've been playing this game forever. Give Kevin Kruger a chance the same way that we just talked about Marvin Menzies, how he didn't get a chance. Marvin didn't get a chance, and I was on the record at the time saying Marvin should have gotten a chance. Well, don't make the same mistake with Kevin Kruger. Give him a chance to grow into it. So reality with the portal, if you're going to put together a team, and I guess I'll, I'll deal with the Mountain West in terms of putting together a team, I think UNLV has higher standards and also some better backers. I'm guessing that you've got to have, say you want to bring in four, five, six players and also keep your best players, that you've got to have an NIL collective budget, whether that's out front or behind the scenes, of I'm going to say minimum 150000 up to about 700000 Does that That's a it? good solid range. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if, if you are – if you are looking to put together uh, five or six people out of the portal and keep some good players, you could be talking, you know, fifty, seventy-five, a hundred thousand dollars or more per player. So that's why the seven hundred sounds like a lot, but if you've got a big team to build and you're trying to keep guys around, you better have some money because guess what? Uh, the big boys above you in the Power Five have money. I'll just tell you there were rumors with one of the players exiting UNLV that there could have been, say, 150, 200 grand on the table from a Power Five. Now, that was a while ago, but that's what we're dealing with here. And here's the thing, because I don't want to belabor the point, and none of these numbers are official. What's fascinating about now is that this has all been pushed, or a lot of it has been pushed above board. It's legal. You know when it wasn't legal, and you knew who was fighting the fight to get kids paid and get their fair share? or at least something, back when Jerry Tarkanian was ruling the roost in Vegas, we'll say from, you know, when it really started to explode, I mean, I could go back to the Hardway 8, and there's no doubt in my mind that schools paid guys back then, they paid them back to the 60s and 50s. Um, But for a good 20 years into the early 90s, before the NCAA finally got its wish and got Jerry Tarkanian out of college basketball temporarily, that was the game back then, and Tark sort of laid the blueprint Four kids to make money now. And the Paul Gutierrez story yesterday, and we had Paul on in our 5 o'clock hour. I don't know if you heard it. I don't know if you got to see the story on ESPN.com. But 
the changes in Vegas and its attitude towards the NCAA and vice versa, which is the more important end of it, over the last 40 years, it's amazing that we've got a West Regional here with all the history between these two organizations. We'll call Vegas an organization. It's insanity. We can get into that uh, when we go on about the business relationship and, and what it all means. I'll take one quick aside and say, what a missed opportunity on Paul's story on ESPN.com to not use the headline of Hot Tub Time Machine. I mean, come on. What would have been more oh, perfect right. than going? Yeah. I mean, th- for those of us who were here, if yeah. you know, you know. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, like, when you look at Richie, there it is. You go back and, and look at the fact that the money was involved all the way back three decades, four decades. Well, that's the one area where I don't think UNLV fans should feel patient because if there was one thing over all the years that we heard was the advantage for UNLV, it was the money, right? It was the money to bring in a top-end basketball coach. When we couldn't figure out who was picking up Rick Pitino's wife at the airport, the money was there, right? The money has always been there when it comes to men's basketball. Now, is it going to be there to compete with the rest of the Mountain West in this day and age? We're about to find out, aren't we? We are, because that's the way it's done now. We definitely are. So uh, let me transition real quick, because we'll have a couple of moments today to uh, mention what's going on with the Vegas Golden Knights. Man, I swear it was just a couple of weeks ago that I heard and saw, really more saw, uh, a lot of Vegas Golden Knights fans whining and not happy with the stopgap goalie. <laughs> can, you t- can you talk about what Johnny Quick is doing and that initial negative reaction? You and I talked about it at the time of the trade, and our reaction was the same. It's Why not? right? Goaltending in the NHL is so notoriously up and down. A guy can be great one year and terrible the next, and that's pretty much what you saw with Jonathan Quick. The great play isn't that far off. He wasn't great this year. Golden Knights bring him in, and he's been steady. And now Logan Thompson is on his way back, and that's exactly what you needed was someone to be steady. And look, you got steady out of Yuri Patera at times here with this team. But yes, Steve, if there's one thing we have to do on this show, (laughs) it is to bow at the altar of correct takes. And you, sir, you had a correct hockey take. I don't know if I did. I don't even know what I said. I think you I was got, po- you I think got I was on positive, everybody. But I was, I was you got actually, on everybody for going after well, the Jonathan Quick trade. I was actually positive on it because I don't, I don't, I didn't, I didn't realize that he had you know faltered so badly recently. But I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe change the atmosphere, change the environment. We'll turn things around. Grab him, right? Grab him. You never know. Maybe you get one last run. And so far, and again, this, the sample size is small. So far, it's been good. But the sample size is going to be small. That's the way it is with goaltending in hockey, especially. There is no sport in the world that goes hot hand, small sample size, more than hockey, especially when it comes to goaltenders in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You would never look at a three-game stretch hot run by a quarterback at the end of weeks 16, 17, and 18 and say, well, you know what? Chad Henney looked pretty good coming in for Patrick Mahomes. Even if Patrick Mahomes is healthy, I think we might ride with Chad for a while. No, it's not going to happen. But in hockey, you absolutely do it. It's why we've been talking about 1A and 1B for so long, back to when we were talking about Flurry and Robin Leonard. Well, all right, maybe it's Logan Thompson and Jonathan Quick. That wouldn't be so bad, would it? Giveaway time. 364 364-1100. This is really more of uh, Candy's era 
Uh, you remember Bad to the Bone, right, when you were uh, in your 40s? Uh, no, I'm actually a little older than Candy, but George Thurgood is I town. know it very well, thank you. <laughs> I drink cologne, or alone. Uh, George Thurgood and the Destroyers, 50 years of rock tour. They're still rocking hard. March 25th, that's a Saturday. Palms in the Pearl. Ticketmaster.com is where you can get your tickets. But Ari's got a pair right now, 364-1100, caller number 7. I appreciate Candy giving me credit for a correct take, which is, I mean, that's... You're using that pretty loosely on a Jonathan Quick take. I will come back and say, you know what? Boy, I got to reevaluate what I was saying last week about the Big East and the Mountain West being pretty close in terms of basketball because when the Big East had to throw its collective sack on the table and play well in this tournament, they did it because they've got teams in the Sweet 16. And my God, the money being thrown around for coaches and big names, that's big time stuff. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to lvsportsnetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Rolling on, Cofield and Company. Adam Candy is in, already steering the ship here as we have the West Regional on the ground. Basketball heaven. In Vegas, something we could never imagine. Yeah, we got the conference tournaments recently, right? Been a good run with the uh, Mountain West and the other conferences, Pac-12 being the uh, biggest one that comes to town. Most successful one is probably the West Coast Conference, but now we're getting a Final Four down the road. We've got a regional. I'm sure we'll be a uh, beginning of the tournament site in the future. And, you know, early in the week – actually, it was late last week. Late last week, Andy, I was talking about how – there was a big bash fest on the Mountain West Conference, and they haven't been real successful lately. The 11-game losing streak in the tournament finally got snapped by San Diego State. Um, by the way, that 11-game losing streak, a little unfair to not mention the fact that there was a – what were they at the end of the season? Were they like 28-1? and There was a San Diego State team in the COVID year that was probably going to win some games. But that all said – the conference had played poorly. They hadn't won games. San Diego State finally wins some games. This year's performance by the rest of the teams, not good. And I tried to make the defense that a lot of the problems for the Mountain West Conference is actually being underseeded. That most of the times they're in the tournament, they're 10, 11, and 12s. That's not exactly fair. You know, I look up this year and I'm like, I don't know, man. Uh, I think Xavier, Marquette, and UConn are pretty good. I really like Creighton. I think, I think Creighton's the best tournament team left. And made the case that the Big East, because of – the rep of the old days, gets a bit overseeded. And guess what? It ain't the old days because most of the powers that be or were in the Big East, well, they left. Or they still remain in the Big East, and they're not good. It's been this infusion of Midwest programs, which is funny. When you bump up from your Midwest conferences, you go to the Big East just because you're in the Big East. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, eh, Butler? I mean, Butler's a legit pro- – Xavier? Like, they weren't eight years ago. They were legit, but they were disrespected by Power Fives and the Big East. So my whole spiel was out there, and, hey, these conferences aren't that far apart. Well, then the Big East goes on to make the Sweet 16 with three teams, right? We've got, what, a two? Check that. Three, a four, and a six, right? In Creighton and Xavier and UConn. So that's impressive. They got three teams into the Sweet 16. So I will back off on the comparison because the other factor that's emerged now is the money being thrown around by the Big East to get coaches is something that could the Mountain West do? Maybe. 
But I don't think any of the programs are that dedicated to start paying coaches three, four, and $5 million. But Ed Cooley candy being stolen by Georgetown for $5 million a year, when Providence was already paying him like upper threes, that's impressive. And whether you like it or not, Rick Pitino can still coach. And a lot of the stuff that he used to do, you know, maybe not hookers in the, uh, the dorm rooms, a lot of the stuff that they were doing above board, right? Now you can, now you can do it. So St. John's and Georgetown stepping up and, you know, getting pretty good name coaches, a legend in Patino that sends a signal. And the fact that, well, I mean, I'll give him credit for this. While it is truly the, the big Catholic with a lot of Jesuit schools, um, ethics don't really get in the way of winning basketball. And it didn't in the eighties, like Sean Miller, Let's go, Sean, after all the stuff in Arizona. So my whole point is the Big East between money and, hey, just, hey, we got to skirt some standards to get coaches in here. We're dedicated to winning basketball at a high level. And I don't know that the Mountain West is at a lot of places. Mountain West and the Big East have one major difference. You cannot avoid that difference. It is public versus private schools. Yeah. Public schools are beholden to a much different set of stakeholders and regulators than private schools are. Private schools can do pretty much whatever they want, and it's going to be a lot more difficult for a public school to come up with that kind of money that quickly to deal with the buyouts in the same way that public schools have to deal with them. And when you've got Creighton and Marquette and Xavier and Georgetown, and you can go on and on with these private schools, well, you know how many Mountain West has right now? Grand total of zero private schools. It's a different ball game. It's a different ball game entirely. And when it comes to you know Patino in the Big East, uh, especially, I mean, look they 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 turned over the keys and told them to turn out the lights. <laughs> uh, there is no collection plate that can, that can that you can hand around and go. We need more money. You want to win basketball games and uh, also turn turn the other way. Don't look at who we're going to hire. But actually, they wouldn't even have to because most most of those schools. Their backers are they they don't care. After a little bit of time goes by, they don't care if they're grabbing Sean Miller. They don't care if they're grabbing Rick Bettino. You know, there's no sign of the cross that's needed. We don't have to go to freaking confession and you know, seventeen Hail Marys for Patino, thirteen for Miller. I think Ed Cooley's okay. So they're into winning basketball. And the Mountain West has to step up with more funding. Um, otherwise you're gonna see what you've seen and we'll get into what's happened around the Mountain West Conference with the transfer portal. Uh, it ain't just UNLV that's losing good players. I mean, the preseason Mountain West Conference Player of the Year went into the portal late yesterday. So that's coming up a little later on. Wow! We have a second person on the show who's really into the World Baseball Classic. We'll tell you who that is. I mean, you can probably guess. It's Candy. Last night's game, in certain moments especially, was magical. Unfortunately, USA lost. Join Cofield and Company live every Thursday at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook. Weekly giveaways and awesome game day food and drink specials. Thursdays, 3 to 6 p.m. at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Throwing out the first pitch at the Padre game is, you know, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me because I have the MLB package and watch every Padre game, which that's a long baseball season. And there's a time difference. My wife is not happy that, that I love the Padres so much. But, I mean, for my dad, in San Diego, one of the first things that happened when we moved there is, is he met with Paul Brown, who's a former Cleveland Brown, Cincinnati Bengals coach, owner. You're listening to Cofield & Company on ESPN. 
ESPN Las Vegas. That was Eric Musselman, former Reno coach, now coach in Arkansas. We'll get some comments from him later on talking about the transfer portal. He was uh, very thankful for the transfer portal, but that's coming up. I want to talk World Baseball Classic here in a second with Adam Candy. We've got to talk about some Raider moves, more moves beyond Austin Hooper. He's one of the newest Raiders. They brought in O.J. Howard the other day. They elect to bring in Hooper as one of the uh, tight end candidates to sort of fill the shoes of Darren Waller. Just to finish up that, hey, nice job, Big East, in terms of college basketball, right? UConn's here. Dan Hurley's here. They're one of the four teams in the West Regional. And a lot of me kind of backing down on criticism of the Big East is what they've done with their coaches the last three years, Candy. I just saw a list someone put out on Twitter Coaching tenures in the Big East. Uh, Greg McDermott, Creighton, 13 years. Dan Hurley, five years at UConn. Tony Stubblefield at DePaul. We'll see how that works out. He's been there two years. Shaka Smart, two years now at Marquette. He's been successful. By the way, there were rumors. I can't even remember all the details and all the timelines of all the UNLV coaching searches. But there was some talk back before Otzelberger got hired that if the timing was right in Texas – Moved on, whatever. Chaka Smart had some interest in UNLV, but, you know, that's a, an old story. I guess we could do that back to Patino and also Kelvin Sampson. Uh, one year in the league as a head coach, Kyle Neptune. We'll see what happens with that one at Villanova. But uh, Shaheen Holloway up from St. Peter's to Seton Hall. Thad Mata is in the league. Don't forget about that. Sean Miller. And now the latest hires are Ed Cooley, Rick Patino, and then Kim English, who is a rising prospect at Providence. So we move on from college basketball for now. You and Adam Hill. Adam loves international sports. You and Adam Hill were the guys on the World Baseball Classic. I really didn't get into it, and I'm not ripping people who did because I understand why they get into it. And last night, last night was a great close to the whole thing. You could not have scripted it. It <laughs> was the single greatest baseball moment of 2023 and I don't care what happens the rest of the season. I don't care who goes to the World Series. I don't care if Aaron Judge breaks another record. You got the greatest moment you're going to see in the entire baseball season last night at the end of that game with Japan leading the U.S. 3-2 to in the ninth inning and it came down to the greatest baseball player in the world right now and the guy who was the greatest baseball player in the world right before him, Shohei Otani on the mound, Mike Trout at the plate. Shohei Otani blew 200-mile-an-hour fastballs by Mike Trout. He still ran the count to 3-2, and then he busted out this hell slider on 3-2 to get rid of Mike Trout and to win the World Baseball Classic. And you said earlier, Steve, about all these great moments, and oh, but the USA didn't win. The best possible outcome of this was the USA not winning because the country that cared the least, even though it cared, was the USA. Japan, this is a revolutionary thing for Japan. For any of the Latin Dominican countries, this would have been a revolutionary thing. They were into this in a way that we're not. But you know what? In the end, we still were way more into it than we are for the MLB regular season. If you go back to last year, and look at the ratings for the World Series. It was the second lowest rated World Series in the modern era. Only the COVID series in 2020 in the Texas bubble got lower ratings. And some people will say that's because of fragmentation with streaming and there are too many options and this and that. I'm here to also tell you it is because of the fact that baseball didn't have the same draw last year. I'm sorry, Phillies Astros doesn't really do it for a lot of people. 
But when we come down to the World Baseball Classic, this was on the front page of ESPN.com. This was leading multiple broadcasts. How many times does baseball do that now during the year? We don't even talk about baseball on this show because people don't care. People aren't interested. But we care in this moment. And Japan winning this was the best possible thing that could have happened. Shohei Otani being at the front of this, being in the middle of the whole thing. The best player in the world. The guy who has the chance to be the international superstar of all of professional sports. Being at the front of this was the best possible thing that could have happened out of the World Baseball Classic. I've been to a Japanese baseball game in Japan. They care about this on a different level. And that passion, that energy is going to carry over into the World Baseball Classic uh, for years to come. You know why this is awesome as well? The story developing middle of last week when Edwin Diaz went down for the year with the Mets were a bunch of Americans. And I'll mention race because this is also why there's an issue around baseball in clubhouses, but, you know, the rules of baseball guys, but... A bunch of American whites, a lot of them sports talk people, were really angry that multiple Latino players were saying that, hey, the World Baseball Classic means more to me than Major League Baseball. And then the great thing as it went along, you could see that. I'm not saying the Americans didn't care. They were very, the players, they were very passionate. But all these people were mad about. Players saying, Latino players saying, hey, we love WBC more than Major League Baseball. As fans, where were you? Like, you, they're, they're right not only in expressing their true feelings, the international fans love baseball more than we do. And I'll throw out the cheesy line it's our game, but it really isn't anymore from a passion standpoint. If you rank things, the owners. The owners here over the I don't want to go down this, you know, this rabbit hole again, but the owners of these teams for American fans in many markets have unknowingly crushed the spirit and the passion of I'm not going to say most Americans, but they've beaten and battered many Americans and I know you always love to talk about, you know, being in that cage, you know, with Rob Man at Rob Manfred's house and, you know, I love the abuse, Rob. Love it. Well, guess what? Guess what? When there's a World Baseball Classic, guess who's going to show up at the bottom of the passion scale? Us. And yet even what us was is more than we get during the MLB season. That park was still packed in Miami last night, and there were a lot of American fans in that park. You still got the absolute best of what you can get out of Major League Baseball. And look... You, you just said it. I love it when Bobby Baseball beats me down. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Pinstripes, baby. Hit me, Bobby. Hit me again. Hit me with your pitch clock. Hit me right in the face. And then I'll ask for more because I love baseball. And here I come back for more every single yep. time. And I love to rip on Rob Manfred. And I can't say anything but positives <laughs> about the World Baseball Classic. Oh, Edwin Diaz got hurt because he was celebrating and you don't like the fact that Latin players were saying that this was the most important thing to them? Guess who else said it was the most important thing to them? Mookie Betts said that this was the most important thing he'd been involved in in baseball. Mike Trout echoed the sentiment. Shohei Otani wanted that as much as he has wanted anything in sports. We we are, we really are, and I'm just talking about fans in general, we are, 
We are so hypocritical. We and we change the message and move the goalpost all the time. Because I can remember back early two thousands, and Americans were mad that the NBA players didn't seem to care. You know, before we had dream teams. So I guess we'd have to go back to you know late eighties. No, no, it was early two thousand when we started losing. When they when the world caught up to us, and people were mad. Like you've got USA on your chest. That should be the most important thing to you. Like, wait, now you're mad? We, I don't, what, what baseball's different? What like? What's going on here? And then your whole thing about being caged and beaten by Rob Manfred with all he's done to baseball. Here's the latest one. And I've been kind of building this. And, you know, frankly, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. On this show, you're the biggest baseball fan. The other guys could take it or leave it, based, you know, depending on what season it is. And I feel like baseball season is basically uh, June to, like, July 15th, and then people get fired up for the postseason. But I've been talking about this in snippets for a couple of weeks. Do people realize what's coming with these regional networks? And it was already folded in as a pay product. But this is going to be full-blown pay-per-view baseball and in markets to go back four minutes where their owners have said, what we have is crap, our product is substandard, we can't compete, and now, years later, you got to pay for it. You sit at home and you're going to pay for it. Go ahead, Kenny. Take that beating to the face. Sir, I will. And then I will ask for even more from the Steinbrenners, from Bob Manfred, and I will keep coming back. But you know what? They have made it increasingly difficult to find their products, right? And last year, part of it went to Amazon for the Yankees. Part of it went to Apple TV for these exclusive Friday night broadcasts. But hey, it was no big deal. You just had to have the app for Apple TV. Well, that's changing this year. And now... You're going to have to pay for the $6.99 a month service if you want to be able to access these exclusive broadcasts on Friday night. Look, I hope to God the World Baseball Classic energy carries over. But by the time you go to someone and say, hey, you want to watch that one game on Friday night every week? It's going to cost you 7 bucks when you're already paying for your satellite or cable service, when you're already paying for the MLB TV package. If you're a Yankees fan and you want to watch the games on Amazon Prime, when you're already paying... For Amazon Prime. I'm paying for YouTube TV, and they just pulled MLB Network off. I saw so that. I couldn't even see half of the World that. Baseball Classic until it got over to Fox. And then yeah. when it got to Fox, I had to listen to a guy who hates baseball talk about baseball with John Smoltz just ripping on the game and what it is today. He's basically the avatar of the guys who hate baseball but still watch it. I love baseball. I want to watch it. But they are they want to challenge me. They want to make it more difficult for me. And that's why I thought the World Baseball Classic was so special. Because I didn't care. I really didn't care. I'm not Mr. Olympics. I'm not Mr. Wrap Myself in the Flag. I am not Lee Greenwood's son. I am not any of those things. But when the World Baseball Classic came around and I could see the passion of everyone. And I could see Randy Arozarena. Ask Tyler Bischoff about Randy Arozarena and how we feel about that guy. It was awesome watching him rob a home run and then mean mug to his pitcher. I loved it. The whole thing was great. Just baseball, do me a favor. Try to capitalize on that. Try, try, try to keep the momentum going and try not to keep putting up more walls to people finding the products during the year because, like Cofield said, I, I can only climb so many of them for everybody. Cofield and Company is live at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers at 702-766-1400. Isn't this interesting? According to Albert Breer, teams not in the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes 
are saying they would not give up a first-round pick for him. The Jets should give up a second this year and then a conditional pick next year. Now think about that. If Patrick Mahomes was available on the market today, we were discussing this as a team this morning. I got to say, five first-round picks minimum. Minimum in perpetuity until he retires. Good God, Tyreek Hill, a wide receiver, went for five picks. Christian McCaffrey. A running back that struggles to stay healthy went for a collection of picks. I know, I know, I know you think I'm picking on Aaron. This is what the market is telling you. And that's why Green Bay and the Jets are in a bit of a a stalemate. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. We'll get into the stalemate as herd calls it between the Packers and the Jets around 420. Adam Candy is here as the company. You know, so often we come back with a sound clip, and then sometimes we just start racing off in another direction. I wanted to play uh, Eric Musselman a little from a little earlier. I don't know that I ever explained what he was talking about there, so uh, this is something we grabbed. Uh, this was pretty early in the press conference. A question about uh, baseball and, and San Diego, and apparently uh, Muss is a gigantic Padres fan. Throwing out the first pitch at the Padre game is, you know, one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me because I have the MLB package and watch every Padre game, which that's a long baseball season, and there's a time difference. My wife is not happy that, that I love the Padres so much, but, I mean, for my dad in San Diego, one of the first things that happened when we moved there is, is he met with Paul Brown, who's a former Cleveland Brown, Cincinnati Bengals coach, owner. Yeah, so when he was growing up, he was in San Diego because his dad, Bill, was coaching an ABA team. I think it was the Seals at the time. And this muscleman happened to see, you know, Paul Brown, the, the owner of the, the Browns, and then eventually the, uh, the Bengals just having dinner with his dad. So uh, there's a lot of the coaching ties in this thing uh, run pretty deep, whether it's coaches of these schools and their dad's coaching in high school or in the case of you know, uh, Eric Musselman is his dad coaching at a little higher level in, in college and around professional basketball. So, speaking of pro basketball, you know, it's funny, yesterday, it's not really funny, um, someone behind the scene had mentioned, Candy, that Willis Reed had passed away, and I was like, eh, today's not really the right day to get into it. Um, I don't know that, uh, you know, this current cast is going to have great memories of Willis Reed. Now, Willis Reed is known for a historic moment, so most sports fans know about it, but, you know, you're a guy who grew up in that area, and, you know, Willis Reed's you know, main times as a player was before we were really around, but he was certainly a figure in, in New York sports as a coach and a, and a GM. Um, do you want to explain to the youngins out there why Willis Reed is or what he's best known for? God, I can't believe I'm taking on an elder statesman yeah, role anywhere. It makes me a little bit sad, but in this case I'm happy to do it because the legacy of a guy like Willis Reed needs to live on with everybody who cares about sports because to me what he accomplished – in a single moment, is the sort of thing that is almost impossible to do anymore. And he is now so synonymous with what he did, and it now gets referred to as a Willis Reed moment when other people do it, that it feels important to memorialize it. The man, as we mentioned, just passed away. But go back to the 1970 NBA Finals, the Knicks against the Lakers, and Willis Reed goes down injured in Game 5. He has a muscle tear. And... We come back in Game 6, and Wilt Chamberlain, playing for the Lakers, puts up these numbers without Willis Reed in the game. 45-27. and 27. 45 points, 27 rebounds for Wilt. And then we all remember, or at least a lot of us do, 
the moment of Willis Reed, muscle tear, hobbling out of the tunnel in the garden to come and give a boost to his teammates. Look, he only made two shots in the game. It wasn't like he came back in and had a Michael Jordan flu game. But what he did was legendary at a time when the Lakers were still the Lakers, but the Knicks weren't really weren't that great. And to be someone who now, when we see someone like Kirk Gibson in the 1989 World Series come in into pinch hit, when we see someone coming back out of the locker room in a huge game, we talk about it as pulling Willis Reed. And how many other moments are there like that in sports, right? What do we talk about? Getting Wally pipped going back in the day in, in baseball when Lou Gehrig started the Iron Man streak and Wally Pipp ended up out of baseball. There aren't that many other guys who, who can give that claim to fame. And that's not to take anything away from the career of Willis Reed. Seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, on both the NBA's top 50 and top 75 all-time lists. He was that guy. He was him in his day. But what Willis Reed accomplished by putting himself into lore as more a verb than even a noun to me, that's the sort of thing that should never be forgotten in sports. It's the sort of inspiration that we come to sports for in the first place, right? Why do we watch? We want to see moments like that. We want to see someone overcoming in a way that either we couldn't or that just we love and we respect. And maybe that moment to us, when we just talked about, do you care as much about the name on your chest as you do on the one on the back of your jersey? Well, those are the moments, right? Those are the moments that make us feel like, the superstar athletes care as much as we do when we see a guy fighting through what Willis Reed did to come back and help win a championship. Good stuff. You're an elder statesman. Nothing wrong with that. Can I just be the statesman? I, I don't want to be an elder. This whole show is filled with elder statesmen at this point. Well, it's the old and the old beyond their time. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Right. Sorry, JVT. What? Yeah, that's, that, that is a good one. Um, what I don't want to hear, though, is all that great stuff you just talked about with Willis Reed inspiring his team being weaponized against athletes of today. But it's too easy to do. And it's that red meat that your average sports fan over 50 loves. So I saw a note today on social media from a guy named Mike Bianchi, who's been in Florida as a longtime media member. I think he's still doing a show in Orlando, and I see the slug. Today's NBA stars could learn a lot from Willis Reed. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm pretty sure the man himself who has passed away would not have approved of you taking his passing as a tool to go after NBA players of today and load management. And you know what? I'll admit, I get so annoyed by people, I didn't even click on the link to see what he said. I will do that during the break. Maybe there's some really redeeming things in this story, aside from talking about how cool it was that Willis Reed limped out of the locker room and inspired his teammates. But if it's just to pick out several NBA players and bash them and then unfairly brand all guys in the NBA as the same, stop. Stop. We're better than this. We don't have to do this all the time. Just because Charles Barkley and guys his age like to do it, 
We all don't have to do it. Is that unfair? Charles Barkley can do it. Charles Barkley played in the NBA. Mike Bianchi, last I checked, was never on an NBA roster. And I'm not that guy, Steve. You know I'm not. You have to have played the game. It's a different criticism coming from a guy who's been through the rigors of an NBA season versus a guy occupying an armchair in Florida.